Greetings, true believers, and welcome to a special episode of the Pull List Podcast. During our time at LTN Con Online, we had the chance to speak to some amazing creative voices in the comic book community. One of those voices was Tamara Robertson of Mythbusters and Seekers of Science. She's been on the pull list before, and she joined us for LTN Con Online for a great panel, and we'd like to share that with you today. We hope you enjoy. Uh, better put the word out. Get ready for the nerd out. Better put specs on. Better bring next song. It's LTN Con. Yay. We're still doing panels, and oh, look at that. That was great. Um, Hector's still here. I'm still here. We're going to be here all weekend. It's like we live here now. Um, but we've been having an awesome day, and we just want to continue to bring more people that do awesome things in the areas of comics. But honestly, our guest today does science. Seriously, I led with science because that's like her thing. It's why her smile's super big right now. Um, <laughs> she does comics because she create, she's a co-creator, basically, of a really neat comic, which we will talk about, um, that helps teach kids about science. See how things connect there? Mm-hmm. Glorious. Um, she also does cosplay and does it extremely well. But she also is just a great human being. And Hector and I and many of us that have spent time in North Carolina have been truly blessed to have gotten to know um, our good friend. So, Miss um, Miss Robertson, how are you? I'm good. Um, how are you? <laughs> we're doing great. Um, as you as you can tell, we've all had a day, and it's been a great day. So. Um, for some of the folks that might not know you, how about you give us your lowdown that I tried to give, you know, that, that outline. Um, she's a nerd, whichever way I'm supposed to point. Um, but help some folks get to know you who haven't had the opportunity. We have had you on the Polis podcast before. Yeah. Um, so some folks here have probably um, heard of you and some people have seen you on that, that television, that small box, because you've done lots of things. So yeah, how about you help us um, get to know you a little better? Yeah, so um, I'm Tamara Robertson. Uh, I am a chemical and biomolecular engineer by training, and I spent like a decade doing that, um, including making pandemic vaccine during the swine flu. Mm -hmm. Uh, So right now it's kind of weird to be sidelined during this one. Yeah. But I was basically building these women in leadership programs and every company that I went to because as a female engineer, especially in chemi, we're only about a third of the population. Um, I think when I started out my major, we were 50% of the class. And by the end, there was like eight of us left. Wow. Um, and so I kept trying to like boost women and bring women up. And so when I hit the executive suite at 28, I looked down to like pull up the next generation of women. And I realized that for five tiers, there were no other women. Um, and so in 2015, I left corporate engineering, moved over to consulting and went into full-time outreach to get more little girls excited about science. Um, and what was interesting is that along the way, I actually had so many parents telling me how important it was for their sons to see what I did on shows like Mythbusters and Side Jane Square. Yeah. They suddenly we're seeing a girl do things that they only had ever believed uh, a boy could do. And so it became the shift in my mindset because now not only was it important to get the girls excited about engineering, but it was also, you know, important to get all the kids excited about engineering. Um, And so I've had the amazing opportunity to work with the Mythbusters franchise for the last four years of reboots from Mythbusters The Search, where I was the only female finalist and two MVP winner, to Mythbusters 2.0 as a guest, and then Mythbusters Junior most recently with Adam and six amazing kids from across the nation. Um, And then from there, I got to do a little science prank show, which was a lot of fun. Uh, We did not ridicule. We blew people's minds with science. We were um, as nerds all about it. Hold on, I'm writing that one down. Yeah. (laughs) As nerds, we, we all came into it when they approached us and were like, uh, no, I spent most of my life getting made fun of. Like, I don't want to, I'm not going to do that to other people. And then instead we did that wow factor of mm-hmm. kind of showcasing tech that existed and had existed for years to people that never realized why it worked. Like, I think my favorite one was we utilized hydrophobic materials, which basically if you're familiar with like the Dickies brand, it's like what makes it so your pants don't stain. Um, and we let people throw vats of spaghetti sauce on our chef 
under the pretense that he had this on him and he didn't. Um, and everyone was like, you're going to make so much money off of this. And we just kind of laughed because the technology has been around for decades, you know? Right. Um, but from there, you know, the outreach part of it has been amazing. Um, when I was an engineer, you know, I worked with Engineers Without Borders and I worked with Habitat and I still work with them all across the globe. And it was still really hard to get into classrooms to be able to like see kids and talk to them. Everyone's like, well, why do you want to come and talk to our kids? Especially in the high risk areas that I was wanting to go into and talk to these kids. And so one of the most amazing things about the shows is that it's now not a question of if I can get into the classrooms, it's how do I get into a, like all of the ones that are asking me to be there mm -hmm. um, and getting to talk to these kids and kind of explain to them that like where their story starts doesn't define where it ends, but they do and kind of giving them that hope of, you know, whether it's engineering or tech skill trades or wherever they want to go that they can really define for themselves what they are next. So it's been an adventure. <laughs> yeah, she's like, it's just been a slight adventure. <laughs> um, so I, I know one of our folks have asked already off the top, and I think it's a great place to interject that question is, you know, before you became the small screen famous um, scientist, who was your favorite TV scientist growing up? Oh, Scotty from Star Trek, 100%. Oh, like, better. Like, my brain was totally somewhere else, but I am... I was waiting for Beekman or Bill Nye. I was like, right, I well, oh, yeah, I, I would... I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm old enough to be a Mr. Wizard guy, Beekman but... Beekman all the way. Well, Mr. Wizard is good, too, though. Like, yes. I actually... I, I work with the Midnight Science Club and the current wizard, Jake, so, like, I'm a, I'm a big wizard fan. Um, he actually... Uh, he gave me this horn, which I can't reach because it's behind Aww. my cosplay stuff, but it's... It's behind it's all your very nerves. loud in my neighbors. I'm gonna go get it. Yes, <laughs> she's getting the thing. This thing, this showed up. I did um, a series with them on on COVID when it first happened, and this was like my thank you. And I'm so happy right now. Hate it, and I love it, and it's it's so much fun. I I got in a lot of trouble when I first got that. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I was hanging out for a while. Oh. <laughs> So yeah, you've you've been you've been here there done done a thing or two and done done it in a very short period of time. Um, so let's kind of step through some of the pieces. You kind of started us with your science and and mm -hmm. your love of that. And I mean, maybe it's probably worth to this audience because I see new faces from stuff that we've done before. Is what? Why did you end up at science? Um, for you, what was the thing that said, "Yup, that that's I." molecular you use big words and my brain went no i also heard math and my brain also said no so um what 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 was the thing that you just woke up and you were like that's the thing and it's, set you off kind of running in that direction it's interesting you know because i talk to a lot of stem kids now and they're all like did you always love science what websites did you use and then i break their like minds by being like i didn't have the internet till college i don't I, there were no websites <laughs> Um, I had a library pass, um, but no, it's, it's interesting. You know, I grew up in a non-stoplight town in the South in North Carolina, um, to two Marines. And so I didn't know any engineers, like literally Scotty was the engineer that I knew. Um, I didn't know any real life ones. I surely did not know any female ones. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I kind of had to deal with, the joy of the debutante South is that if you like tools and tinkering and being in car engines and covered it with grease, you're not right. really considered part of the girl click. Um, and so I became kind of a closeted builder and I hid my, my love of science and my love of math. And like, I was still in the classes and I was doing really well, but like anytime people would ask me about it, I would just kind of like downplay it and talk about some girly thing instead, um, which was very hard for me, except for shoes. I, I can talk about shoes all day. Uh, most of the, the design and construction of them, um, the letters are just mind blowing with how they work. Physics. Uh, <laughs> physics like a mechanic. Um, but it's one of those things that I, I progressed through school and I was actually a sophomore in college um, as a history major, assuming I would go the military path and do history to JAG, you know, history to law to JAG. Um, and I had a teacher set me down and ask me if I'd ever considered engineering. And I literally looked at her and laughed and I said, girls don't do that. 
And it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, a biasness. It was just an, an absolute lack of knowledge that women could be engineers or were engineers or had been engineers. Like I was never told that that was a potential part of the narrative. And so my sophomore year, she took me up to NC State, go Wolfpack, and I sat in a material science class and for the first time ever was engaged and excited about what a teacher was saying. Um, and I switched majors and never really looked back. But I think I've always been inclined towards curiosity and tinkering. You know, before I was knee high to a duck, I was in engines with my dad and rebuilding houses. So it was just something that I never knew I could make money off of something I enjoyed um, because I was used to being very bored and, and the educational system. So um, it, wasn't really a direct path. It was getting really lost on the way to graduation that led me to engineering. That sounds about the normal path for engineers. I mean, a lot of, that I've known is the, I was doing a thing and then I graduated. Um, <laughs> and you're still and, like, how did I graduate? I thought yeah. there was no way it was going to happen. <laughs> what happens? Um, so I think kind of in line with this, I've got two questions kind of stacked up, but to kind of keep us in the direction. The first question is um, Reb, from Rebecca. Um, I'm attached to that wonderful woman, so I'm kind, I'm kind to her. Um, and she was Wolfpack too, so um, she shares that love. <laughs> she shares that love. Um, but she points out growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, even back in Raleigh, um, there wasn't a lot of big push for STEM education, and especially not for girls. Um, so what do you see today are the biggest challenges for um, girls and women interested in STEM? And what do you think is the best way for them to overcome any existing stereotypes um, to continue down that path? I think there, like STEM is everywhere. It's amazing. Like Girl Scouts actually have a STEM track. Like I remember being like, I don't want to do Girl Scouts. I want to do Boy Scouts. They build stuff and do cool stuff. But now like they have all of the neat stuff um, for STEM there. You know, you've got Society of Women Engineers that has these great programs for young girls and mentorships that they automatically can get. Like I did a build with 300 little girls um, last November and it was mind blowing to see them all like tinkering and doing this. Um, but I think... Honestly, the challenge that these young girls face is us, like mm -hmm. as grownups telling them that there's a challenge and that there's a limit because these young women, they, they don't know that there's a limit. You know, um, I think it was P&G did this amazing like a girl um, campaign where, you know, they had a woman throw a ball like a girl and she's like, eh. and right. then they had a seven-year-old girl throw like a girl and she just rocketed that ball because little kids they don't realize that there's anything in the way they don't know that there's barriers and so one of the things that like when I got asked to talk with SWE and and do their invent it build it challenge I said look I'll be a part of this but I don't want us to talk to them about statistics of why they can't be in engineering or why they aren't in engineering I was like I want this to 100% just celebrate the limitless minds that they have right now um because until you you set up that barrier for them they don't they they're not worried like we really just have to get out of their way like we have to shut up and get out of their way and let them do it like one of the best things that my dad did for me was he never told me that i was doing boy stuff by tinkering like i was just in the garage and i was his helper you know and so being able to let kids be, and this like for boys too, like I do this um, talk at, at Comic-Con each year that's um, called uh, Princesses for Boys and Superheroes for Girls. And it's, it's mm -hmm. celebrating letting kids be who they are um, and, and kind of letting go of that old regime of this is the way it's always been, um, which luckily in most of these STEM programs, you know, they're just letting them tinker and play and giving them all these crazy tools to do it. Um, but I, I think, you know, as long as we keep that narrative open for them, they're going to be able to write it wherever they want. I do have the one, like the one thing that really like still kind of breaks my heart though, is that like 35% of America still doesn't have internet in the home, which I'm like terrified of how much of the world right now, um, especially our population in the U S is being held back while everything is on zoom and all these kids don't have access to their education. And that's one of the biggest hurdles I think that exists in STEM right now is getting these programs into the hands of kids that it would really make a difference for. 
Um, you know, I, I talk with this school here in Wilmington, California, which is right in between Compton and Long Beach and Inglewood. Um, and they do a program each summer where each week someone else comes in and volunteers and teaches a different course. And the whole premise behind it is it's completely free and it gets the kids off the streets during the summer when recruitment is highest for gangs. Um, and like just giving them another option that, that isn't them being told, well, that's never going to happen for you. And that's, that's been another shift in my mindset as I've, as I've started talking and more of these maker um, community events is realizing that explaining to kids that they don't necessarily, if, if college isn't for them, engineering isn't the only path for tinkerers and builders. Like they can go into the trade skills and they will make so much money. Like they can still get out of where they're at if they love to build. Like it doesn't necessarily mean they have to sit in a classroom where they may not thrive. Right. Um, but getting into those communities and, and getting STEM programs into those communities is so hard. You know, they, they don't have the monetary backing that a lot of the magnet schools have. And these are kids that may not ever even know what a magnet school is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, I think that's the, a, it to me a really, really big hurdle is getting to the young women and young men that otherwise no one is talking to. What up nerd? We hope you're enjoying the podcast. But did you know that Love Thy Nerd showcases most of their content on LTN Radio First? That's right. Check the schedule and listen to most of our shows before they're available here over at LTNOnAir.com. While you're streaming, you'll also hear the best mix of Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie, and even some content made exclusively for our radio listeners. Stream directly from LTNOnAir.com or download the Live 365 app and favorite LTN Radio. And let us become your new daily soundtrack. You'll be glad you did. Since we've come to South Georgia, we've seen something very similar in that respect, that access to internet or access to high-speed internet for sure has been a thing and there is a difference and the quality of what they can do is impacted by that so for sure that's something that i know that we're working on as a ministry is that you're right that ad access is super important um so that gives access and and for people to try to tear down some of those walls and show the difference and gain access to those types of things um i know that science isn't your only love, um, but sharing of science is, is equally a powerful love for you. So much so that you and one of your friends are like, we're going to create a comic. And <laughs> you were just like, no, comic. And so you, you had at it and we had you on the show about that. But um, one of the questions we got from the group and um, Madeline has asked, um, how has the response been to issue number two, especially given um, that we're sitting in this wonderful COVID times and, yeah. and all that, because here we are yeah. um, relevance in, co- in comic medium. Um, it's, it's crazy. Cause we put out issue two last year, last right. summer, you know, like, um, and the whole reason we did it is issue one is on uh, Dr. Tracy Finara, my counterparts background um, and her specialty and issue two is on mine. So as a pandemic engineer, like we're like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And the whole reason that we had done it is we were um, working with Project Inspire, um, who does this Operation Outbreak out of Sarasota, Florida, which I think even Wired is now covering their program. It's really incredible. Oh, wow. They basically, what they realized that a pandemic was going to be occurring again, and that we as a population don't have an understanding of what the government does, what the news syndicate does, what the military does, and what the medical does. So what they did was they decided, let's teach the kids, and the kids will funnel it out. And so they had this outbreak each year, and so we actually launched the comic with them donating like a thousand copies, um, and the, you know we were like, oh, this is great. We have this, this um, pandemic one, and it'll be great for Operation Outbreak, and we have been like talking and mentoring and stuff with them. So it's been really interesting to even just talk to them too about like how they couldn't really get support for the program and they weren't able to get in all these schools and then suddenly it just blew up and everyone's talking about how they've been running you know their pandemic um simulations way before it was a thing and so we have seen you know a huge boost of interest in it um it is funny though because we do donate so many um of the comics to kids i think 
I think by the end of the U.S. Science Festival, we'll be beyond like 30,000 copies donated, which is kind of crazy. Um, But we always donate issue one and two because it's, you know, who we are. And then that'll lead to, if they like it, issue three, four, the first volume, all of that. Um, but everyone, it's like the one that always gets downloaded right now is issue two. Like they, they may open issue one, but they download issue two every time. Um, and I know like even my niece, my niece is seven. And the other day she told my sister, she wanted to, to get to read. And so my sister's like, we'll pick a book. And she went and grabbed the pandemic issue. And she like had all these questions, you know, about, is this what's happening right now? Is someone helping us? Are there, are there scientists and labs doing this? And it became kind of a very easy talking point for my sister to be able to alleviate some of the fears that she didn't even realize my niece had at seven, you know, about what was going on in the world. So it's been neat. It's been very neat to see it be relevant. No, so I no. think oil spills in issue one, also very relevant all the time, but you know. <laughs> no, I, when I started my earlier career, I was a firefighter. So um, this is one of my favorite months because October is fire prevention month there. So yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but it's the same philosophy. You teach fire prevention in schools because children are going to sit there and go, wait, I'm supposed to do what? What do they do every freaking Fire Prevention Month. They run home with their escape plan and go, we have one of these, right? All the batteries have been changed in the smoke detectors, right? And I was in communities where if you filled that out and brought it back to school, the fire department show up the next day with your fire, with the fire truck at your house to help you go through your evacuation plan. So 100% of those got filled out every October. That, yeah, if you want to teach anything to parents, you get to them at the kids, especially promising either comics or the, we're, we're making the world a better place, right? Yeah. Kids are just so amazing in that they don't think of the barriers that are in their way or even like we were talking about earlier, perceived barriers, et cetera. They're like, no, I'm going to do the thing. Here's the thing. Let's do the thing. <laughs> we did the thing, right? Um, so it's it's super exciting to see you doing that. And I think that's why my next question personally is, um, what kind of response have you seen um, since you've started? That that was the pandemic that just as you kind of started that process, what you did to get in the hands of kids um, and teach them different things is how, how has that played out for you guys? And how has that been, how, how do you feel now down the road a little bit and a few issues into it for your time investment and your child in creating that just. Yeah. <laughs> it's the ch- our child is the be- like perfect way to put that right like um indie comics are such a labor of love you know yes. and it's and it's like your entire being on on pages and we spent a year and a half like this was an idea so dr tracy finar and i were on the clusters of search together we were one of each of three women out of the 10 so again women were 30 percent of the population um, there and we met and sh- I told her, I was like, I want to, I want to launch a comic series. I want to get kids as excited as they are about superheroes to be that excited about science. And she's like, I'm in, I've wanted to be a superhero since I was a kid. I was like, cool, we're going to do this. And so we spent a year and a half, like I, I built, like I, I was doing research about like what mediums to do, like what kids, what, how many pages, colored versus black and white, like all of these different things. And we had this amazing writer, we have this amazing writer, Todd Black, who's out of Chicago. And he let, like, let us know, he's like, if you guys ever wanna do a comic, like, let me know. And I'm like, oh, believe me, we will be, <laughs> we will be reaching out. Um, and so we got together and then he brought his artist who he's used for years, Alex Garcia on board, who, Alex gives amazing science. Like every time I get an issue back from him, like that goes from words and we do like table reads and everything with it to suddenly seeing it. I'm just like, how does he even do this? Like, cause I'm, I am, you know, I'm not an artist. I just build a lot is what I say. So like getting to see what comes out of someone's mind creativity wise is amazing. But you know, we had, I remember the day that I got the first four page preview and I was like, video and I'm like showing it to like people but then I also like I was like showing it like this but not letting them 
right because i'm like no i don't you can't read it yet because i don't want to know what you think yet <laughs> like you know it became this thing where um when we put it out into the world it was it was like when you let your baby go to kindergarten the first day you know like you're like please don't hurt her like please come back as as beautiful and as amazing and as inspiring as you are in this moment you know and so we had these these big visions and this this big dream for it and um Luckily, it was received very well. You know, we, we have done partnerships with outreach camps all over where, you know, if they, we, we call it the Robin Hood effect, we basically take from the rich and we give to the poor. So if it's a large corporation that can afford it, we do, uh, we go direct to our publishers and we get them at like 60% discount on list and they, you know, pay and it's a, it's a give it forward for every one issue that they buy. We have enough money then to donate issues. Um, and we realized that there were a lot of schools that couldn't afford it. So we make these jelly bands that say Seekers of Science on one side, SOS for short on the other. And on the inside is this digital link and they get the first two copies and it glows in the dark and the kids get to wear it and I wear it. And um, I can send you a bunch. I have a bunch. Um, and we, we do that for the kids that can't. But again, what kept me up for the first two years of this comic was that 35% of the nation, again, doesn't have internet. So the kids I want to reach can't take this and make it into something. And so I started realizing that we needed to be in schools and we needed to be in libraries and we needed to be where these kids could get their hands on a printed copy. So I reached out to LA County um, libraries and I reached out to educators and said, what does it take to get into your libraries? What does it take to get into your school systems? And I found out you have to, have, you know, ISBN code. It needs to be a hardback. They can't do an issue. Um, mm -hmm. They need to have three copies, one in rotation, one on the shelf, and one in the back. And so I started going, okay, let's, let's check these boxes. To be able to have a hardback, we need four issues. So we switched gears completely, and we just focused on getting the four, first four out. And we're like, instead of trying to find partnerships to, to, that might want to do an issue with us, we're just going to self-fund, and we're going to go, and we're going to get this done. And so um, I was super excited because we did have potential partnerships for issue five and six that uh, disappeared when COVID happened because everyone's saving money, which we understand, and they'll come back, I'm sure. Um, but we were like, okay, like, we're going to focus on getting volume one out. And so we just launched volume one uh, two, on, on World Literacy Day, actually, which was the, fir um, the first week of September. We got that out on Amazon. And what's really neat, and what I didn't know, because in our minds, we're like, okay, if we have to print three copies for every institution, that's going to cost us at least $30 per institution. And we want to get these all over the nation, like, how do we get a grant to afford that? How do we do this? Um, but it turns out that Amazon has a really neat function for educators where libraries and schools get a wildly discounted rate to buy things. So basically, like, you don't really make that much on an indie comic. So if you're going in it for money, you're just, just be ready to not. <laughs> but it's like, it's the, the passion and the joy is there. But what we found is, Instead of making a dollar or two an issue, we could instead only make five cents and every school in the world would have access to buy the volume. And it's like, this is a 200 page volume. So like, that's a big deal if they can get that for that inexpensive. And so we went from this moment where we were like, how are we going to fund and get all this money? You're like, oh, we're actually like, we're making enough to buy more jelly bands now. Like this, this kind of works. And so, um, this year now it's it's about getting getting that knowledge out there now that it's available and talking with the libraries and being like do you work with amazon's education system have you talked to them do you want to you know do you want to go that route or we can try to go direct through publishers um you know we use kablam so there's it's not a it's not a, an expensive thing you know like but we tell people all the time like if you come directly to us we can get you a massive discount instead of paying all the fees that websites charge um but now it's like we have so many ideas. <laughs> we have like we have like the, the next 20 issues that we want to do. But then we have people coming up and being like, hey, we really love what you're doing. This is our mission. Could we do something collaboratively? Like we did issue three on AI and VR with NC State. And NC State bought an ad. And, you know, that basically funded 
the art part of it and we funded the rest of it and said, you know, whatever, like, let's do this for the alma mater that's been so supportive. And like now, of course, Tracy's alma mater is like, well, we want an issue. So we're like, okay, yeah, composition <laughs> is good. Let's, let's also do an issue for FSU. Like, let's go ahead. Um, and so it's been, it's been a whirlwind. Um, and seeing the kids get so excited about it and seeing them like, send us pictures with them and they bring them to cons to get them signed. Like it's, it's just really cool. And we're getting to elevate real living scientists in every issue. You know, we, we do a Q and a with real living scientists. We make them part of the adventure. We use real science. We're solving real world problems with real world tech. Granted nanoparticles don't actually karate chop like they do in issue one, but you know, it's more exciting if you think that they do. Um, and then, you know, we have the less than, less than $10 DIY in every single issue with things that you can find at the home so that kids can make their own oil spill and have their own outbreak and, well, hopefully not with COVID right now. Um, it's glitter-based. It's a glitter-based outbreak. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's something There's no that... There's no outbreak ever. <laughs> Glitter's the worst. <laughs> this is the worst outbreak. There's no solution to glitter. Um but it's it's been it's been really cool. But it was it was really scary to like give it out. And actually, um, Rob, um, Vendido and I, we were talking about this at Comic Con right before we were gonna launch. And I was explaining to him, I was like, so expensive to print them. We want to get them to kids. Like, how do we do this? And he's like, well, most indie comic makers don't put out individual issues. They do those digitally, and then the volume is what's hard print. He's like, you could save a lot of money by just not hard printing the issues and I'm like this is a normal thing this is okay okay yes we want to do can that, do that. Yeah. but we did go through the blam because a lot of people do I mean I like to hold comics I want to I want to smell the paper I want to like feel the ink and so um, we did still enable them to be out there but it was not something we were donating hey everyone I'm Hector Mirai and this is Faith and Fandom 180 on LTN Radio so for the past two weeks, my youth group has been playing a live-action version of the game Among Us. I'll be doing administrative stuff in the building, and I'll hear a flock of running preteens scream, Emergency meeting! as they fly past the door. Or I'll see a kid come around a corner screaming, Dead body! Which, you know, is not something you ever really get used to when you work in a church building. But uh, it's okay. They have a great time. And, you know, they walk around making side eyes at each other saying, you're sus. And it's fun. It's dumb. It's a good connecting activity for them. And I'm really grateful for it. I've never actually even played the game. I've downloaded it. But my life isn't in the place right now where I've got time to play online games on my phone other than Pokemon Go. But anyway, one of the things that really stood out to me about this, though, is the fact that this is something we actually deal with in the Christian church on a regular basis. The fact that there are people among us as believers who are imposters. Um, And sometimes imposters are people that are intentionally deceiving others. And sometimes imposters are people that are just straight up deceiving themselves. But the reality is we need to be cautious of how we respond to others and actually look for the fruit in their lives and not just trust a label or presence. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. The fact is that there are people who think they are where they belong in their relationship with God and they're not. I can say for a fact, I have done major damage in my life by trusting people who I thought were believers simply because they use that name and I put myself in bad situations. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. But what I can tell you is this. We need to not only use discernment, but we need to make sure we are living out lives where we're not imposters ourselves. Remember to catch Faith and Fandom 180 every Wednesday morning on the Back Row Radio Morning Show, only on LTN Radio. 
And if you'd like to learn more about what Faith and Fandom does, you can head over to our Facebook page where you can learn about our Comic-Con ministry, memes, podcasts, and the seven books that are currently out in our Faith and Fandom book series. I'm Hector Mirai, and thanks for sharing 180 seconds of your day. So we got another question, which I think drives us like further down the train. It's like, if you haven't figured it out, um, done a thing or two <laughs> or two, um, but you have all this inherent math just jammed into your skull on any given moment. And you've got costumes behind you. And one of those costumes I know I've seen. Um, so, um, and so while you're preparing to build and everything, do you find that all of that wonderful engineering background and skills, like, does that mean you over-engineer your costumes or has it just put you in the simple space of, oh yeah, I just need to do this because Madeline's like, yeah, I just find myself diving into the math and converting patterns and designs for personal stuff. So, you know, what's kind of your build process when you sit down to make the perfect cosplay for the next show? I, I would love, Madeline, we should talk, I want to talk about patterns and how to like not just find something in my closet that has a similar neckline to the cape I need to make and then just copying it and obviously not taking it apart because I also want to wear it later. Um, but for me, the product design part of it is, it, as an engineer, is what comes in more. Um, I am trying to learn how to use SketchUp to do like my patterns and stuff so that I can then PDF them and like give them um, to people because they're like, oh, how do I replicate that? And I'm like, do you have a shirt that looks like this one? You know, like even when I make, when I make my friend's kids costumes, like I did a, a Luke and Leia costume and I had to go out and buy clothes in their size so I could figure out like what sizes. Um, but it's, it's something that as soon as I see a character that resonates with me and I do try to do mostly redhead characters because I feel like there's not like a lot of them, they don't get elevated. Ginger's got to, they got to, they got to get some love. It's why we stick together. Yeah, it is, you know, and pairs and, you know, sometimes we rock back and forth because, you know, no, South Park is not real. We do have souls. Yeah. Um, but it's That's one true. of those things that like when I get an idea of what I want to do, I like, I, the first thing I do is I go to Pinterest and I start like looking at what other people have done. I start looking on YouTube um, I start borrowing from other places. So as an engineer, like that's the biggest thing when you're iterating, it's like, if you want to make, if I want to make a tail and no one's made a tail that actually actuates, I start looking at like self moving systems that do have the ability to like move each of their like little appendages and pieces. And I just borrow that and bring it in. Um, it's like with, for my wings, for my unstoppable wasp, like, I was like, okay, I want to have like fully actuating wings so I can like walk around con and not get hit, but also bring them up for pictures. Um, and I totally over-engineered it. I was like, okay, I'm going to get a laser person to like laser edge this, the, the um, like some clear panels. And so it looks just like her wings that Jeremy makes and like all of this stuff. And then I started looking at the price and I'm like, no, never mind. I can't, this is way too much. So instead, like I ended up going with just, a fabric that has like that webbed thing underneath another fabric and then to actuate it's literally a wing nut. So like I just am able to like open and close them. Um, but then of course I had the issue that um, they were great for San Diego. But when I wanted to surprise Jeremy Whitley in this costume at NC Comic Con, I was like, they don't fit in luggage. Like, what do, how do I, how do I get, so I had to go back in and iterate them and put hinge systems on the actual wings, like the wooden part, so they could fold right down to the, the one duffel that I had size. And you most likely made Jeremy cry because. Oh my gosh, he was so excited. Yeah. Like, it was so great. Like, my godmom was there to like capture it. And I hadn't told him. I'd been, I had asked him for some costume renderings, which is like, oh yeah, I just want to like draw her better. Like, do you have any original costume renderings? And so like, it was just kind of fun to, to get to surprise him with that. But like, even, I've also learned, like I never, um, until I did, my very first cosplay was Starfire. So like, I, I didn't know that like, not everyone dresses up at Comic-Con and I showed up <laughs> painted orange and in a Starfire costume. And like, it was this on Sunday and no one else was dressed up. And I'm like, Am I going to be the only person that's orange? Which luckily when I got to the floor, I was not. But but I had never, um, like I hand sewed that costume because I had never used a sewing machine before. So like cosplay over the last three years is like, I've had to learn how to use actual like sewing machines and chargers and like 
now that I'm starting to play with different materials, I'm, I'm like learning about other like sewing apparatuses that you can use. Um, and so it's actually been great because I'm, I'm continuing to learn. Um, and so between YouTube and Pinterest, like I learned so much and then I iterate and I change it and I like just do this amalgamation of, of everything together. And um, it's kind of a cool, it's, it's neat. It's like really fun. And sometimes I see designs by someone else that I'm like, I, I can't improve upon that. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so like my Merida costume, I, I bought because the girl on Etsy that was making them was just doing such a phenomenal job that I also, you know, didn't have the bandwidth to like make a costume beforehand and was like, why not celebrate her amazing work, you know? And so some of them I purchased, but the majority of them, I try to, I try to always build one. Like my Carrie Kelly one, um, I over-engineered the collar of, and it was a nightmare to make. And I like now know that there's so many simpler ways. That's still one of my favorites. Yeah, that that was one that a fan was like when I cut my hair off was like, oh my gosh, you look like Carrie Kelly, and and I love Carrie Kelly, and I had just never actually put two and two together because I'd always had like longer hair. So I was like, oh okay, cool. And now I'm doing it. And now I'm doing. It. And what's cool now? I don't know. Um, so like I said, I'm part of the U.S. Um, um, a Science Festival that's going on right now, and I'm doing what's called Superhero Science, and I'm actually getting to use my cosplays yes. to introduce the character in a way that doesn't, like, steal from the footage or do right. anything that might be copywritten. But, of course, I do the Wonder Woman spin from, like, my normal clothing into the cosplay, and then I, like, go into it. So, like, the one that's on there, I did um, – I taught about Elastomers with Elastigirl – but like Carrie Kelly's next. And I'm going to be talking about like statistical analysis for actual target practice and teaching the kids how to make slingshots. So I'm like, very yes. <laughs> Again, something my neighbors probably are not going to enjoy the sounds of right. as I'm like counting the, the walls. <laughs> I was going to say, how many letters do you get from parents after some of these? Uh, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> I did that, the Marvel at superhero science with ultimate a couple years ago. And like, there's right. a lot of liability because I made uh, I made a magnetic slime that was like supposed to explain a symbiote so that they would understand what venom was, and like I had to get a rare earth magnet that was like this big just to make sure that they didn't swallow it, but then also wasn't too big that they could smash their hand. And so it's like, and they still found a way. Like I had one kid pick it up and then put it. <laughs> near all the paper clips that were like to teach a polymer linking and he had paper clips on one side and the magnet on the other and he's like look at this and I'm like oh my God. <laughs> yes look at this give me that back great that. <laughs> so, so yeah the kid part of it's always always fun but you know I think um, kind of for our, our little bit of time left here, um, one of the uniquenesses of us here at Love Thy Nerd is obviously our faith. And one of the things that brings us all together for this particular weekend is kind of we gather as nerds to celebrate our individual fandoms um, and our cross fandoms because so many of us are – I. Uh, self-proclaimed omni-nerd and I think most of us represented here actually have multiple um, crosses of fandoms and everything but a lot of what we do also with this particular con is to find those ways that we can integrate our faith in what we do and I know that part of your story is that you had some experiences with that um, early on of just what that looks like. Cause I know it's something that's important to you. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe just letting folks know that you have been such an amazing voice for women in STEM, in engineering and science and just all of the above, which is why we love being able to talk to you and to be able to continue to share that love with so many people, but that you kind of also found yourself in some of those positions with your faith as well. Um, with the show, the earlier shows, at least from what I recall mm -hmm. from conversations, but you know, so how do you go doing all of these amazing, wonderful things and still find those ways to be able to bring your faith to bear um, as you go about the world? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I always feel like as long as I can be a light, I can be a beacon, right? So as long as I can bring joy and happiness and, and my faith, is, is what enables me to do that to all of the areas that I'm in, it becomes kind of one of those things that people naturally are attracted to the light and they want to understand and they want to know like, why is, how does it resonate from you? Like what, what are you? And, and at the end of the day, it's my love of Jesus, you know? And so 
in shows, it was hard, um, especially when I was on um, like the search, they wouldn't let me say that I was blessed. And I, and I, whenever I would get an MVP or something would go really well, I'm like, it's an absolute blessing. And they would always make me do another take without saying it. And then there was like one, one moment where I think Alan Pan actually was like, saying JC over and over again and they like bleeped it and he's like I wasn't even cursing I was like literally praying in that moment because oh, like no. there was a giant thing in the air that was going to come down and potentially like smash him um and it's it's one of those things that um it can be hard especially in the science fields to be able to have that faith and not have people question it and not kind of have them come at you um pretty hard but I've been lucky enough that most people, cause I don't, I'm not going to come out and be like, this is absolutely the way, like, I'm going to, I'm going to be, you know, devil's advocate. I'm going to be like, let's talk about it. Like, why do you feel the way that you feel? You know, this is the way that I feel. And it becomes a conversation versus an argument. Um, in, in science, especially I've interfaced with a lot of atheists. Um, and it just is part of what it ends up being um, in the science field and getting to be able to talk to them about why my faith is so important to me and what my faith has brought to my life. Um, and then knowing me as a real, as, as a real engineer, as a person of science, like they actually will listen. Like we can actually have a conversation versus I think if I just came to them and said I had my faith and I didn't have a similar background to them, I think that they may not be as, as open-minded about it. And that part of, that was actually one of the, biggest reasons that um, Dr. Tracy Pinar and I bonded because she's Catholic, I'm Episcopalian, like we just immediately were like, oh, okay, scientist, engineer, and has faith, you know, and we both talked about, you know, the, the science that you could showcase behind, um, behind some of the Christian, you know, ideas. Like I, I tell her all the time, I, like one of my favorite things is an iodine clock where you can literally make it go from red iodine to clear. And I'm like, how cool would it be to like, talk about the water to wine like moment and also have this really cool hands-on experiment that the kids could do and they would get excited. Um, and so she had actually already done a sizzle that, you know, about uh, the science of, of Christianity. And so like we've like really bonded um, on that. And it's also, um, you know, one of those things that like I kind of, whenever I'm going into a new set in a new situation, I pray on it. You know, my mom is always like, you're, you're in the devil's playground living in LA, you know, like all of this stuff, especially coming from the Bible Belt. And I tell her, I was like, mom, you know, before I go into any set, before I go into any room, I pray that if I'm supposed to be there, that the Lord opens the doors that are supposed to be open, he closes the ones that shouldn't. And then he brings to me the people that I'm supposed to in some way help um, or in some way connect with. And, you know, it helps that I have the Christian footprints poem tattooed on my arm like my faith is there for everyone to see and it's not something I hide it's not something I shy away from um and on every set I I have those people of faith and then I have people that we end up having conversations every day and suddenly by the end of it you know they're more open to to the idea of of having faith and so I just kind of try to be that that light and that beacon and hope that you know, I get as many butterflies as moths, you know, because the moth could become more. <laughs> That's great. So as we, as we come to our close here, maybe what is the one piece of advice that you'd give to every aspiring engineer, builder, comic creator, cosplayer, and person <laughs> of faith? Um, so my big, my biggest takeaway that I always try to leave everyone with is that where your story starts doesn't define where it ends, but you do. Um, so be, be the writer of your own story. Um, but also don't be afraid to fail because failure is 100% a mindset. And if you look at it instead as a means to iterate and to learn, it never hurts you to fail. And if you're not failing, you're not pushing the boundaries. You're not leaving your comfort zone. Um, and especially people of faith, like we have the biggest safety net that could ever exist. Like if, if we don't believe that someone is out there with our best interests at heart, that's, that's looking over us, that's helping us, that's leading us, then, then why are we saying that we're people of faith, right? There's, there's no fear of failure when you know that someone is always going to be there to lift you back up. 
Um, and I tell the kids all the time that if you are too afraid of failing, then the robots are going to take over because AI iterates faster than we can, and they are not afraid to fail. So just go out there and, and try it. Jump, leap, fly, soar, fall, soar again, you know? <laughs> Got it. Skynet is the future, and we welcome <laughs> our robot overlords. Got it. Um, good. Yep. Um, those robo dogs, man, I, they're adorable. I kind of want one, but I'm also a little bit afraid because Black Mirror, they had not. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw the Black Mirror episode and no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no I'm totally good. Roomba. Bump that. <laughs> it's like DJ Roomba, that dude's cool, but his cousin with the knife and things, not cool. No. no. Um, not, not good at all. Well, thank you for joining us uh, today. It always feels like far too little time whenever <laughs> we have the ability to speak to you, but... Um, Thank you for taking the time out of your day to be able to join us and share literally about all the things. Um, but I think we had a great conversation and uh, I hope everyone here has been blessed by our time. Um, and, oh, look, my dog's there. Um, <laughs> like, that's my living room and my dog. Um, great. Um, so thanks for joining us and thank you, everybody. I know we got a main session coming up um, and then we in the comics track are going to read uh, Kingdom Come together later this evening. And then we're going to talk to some comic shop owners from the Ventura area. So I'm talking to some folks from Arsenal Comics out that way. If you know folks out there, they are yeah. friends. Um, so Tim is a good dude. And Tamara, I'm going to have another meme for you. Just to let you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Hector, Hector is our meme, dude. Um, so, but thank you, Tamara. As always, yeah. it's such a pleasure. And, you know, we're going we gonna to talk soon because we're still doing the things. And I think I need to get copies of books is what I realize yes. every time you bring it up that I need to jump on that. So I can, and I can get you some, especially for the, the gaming center. Let me know and I can, uh, I'll go and get the author prices and send you some volumes. We're going to have you do all kinds of superhero um, science and stuff once we get that bad boy rolling. So yeah. it's exciting. Um, <laughs> Thank you for having me too. It's always amazing to see you guys and to talk to everyone. So It's our pleasure. So everyone have a wonderful, yeah, and go Wolfpack. Absolutely. My wife gets that down. So <laughs> Actually, that's, yeah. Nice. I like that. Yep. I live in a wolf. I married into a Wolfpack family and I just embrace it. Um, all right, kids. We'll see everybody later. Okay. Bye. bye. Thank you so much for joining us for this special episode of the pull list podcast. We look forward to being in your ears, talking about comics again on a regular basis, but we don't walk on this road alone. As many of you know, we take this epic journey of podcasts and fandom with other great podcasts from the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. And you can also check out more great content on LTN Radio over at ltnonair.com. We want to thank you for choosing us as your primary comic book knowledge factory on a near-weekly basis. So don't leave us hanging. Rate, review the show on your podcasting app of choice. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and many more. Thanks for listening, and remember kids, read more comics.